welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots Editor-in-Chief, here with the Managing Editor of the Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hey there. <laughs> Maisha, today our guest is someone I consider a very good friend. Our guest is, of course, the one, the only, Bevy Smith. A Gracie Award winner and host of the Sirius XM show Bevelations on Radio Andy. And before getting to Sirius XM, Bevy has had an incredible career, which we talk about extensively in the interview. From climbing the ranks at Vibe Magazine and Rolling Stone to hosting Bravo's Fashion Queens, she's really done it all. And now she's published her first book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie, which she came on the show to talk about. And I gotta say, it was so fun to get to talk to her about this book. I mean, Bevy's always a good time. And I know you all have been friends for a while. But, you know, I also think one of the remarkable things about Bevy is that she is someone who is relentless and unapologetic when it comes to chasing her happiness and her freedom. And I think it's such a a good lesson for us uh, in, in confidence. And, you know, I don't think we can talk about a mother, an auntie, and a bestie without also talking about somebody else I know who's been doing some major leveling up lately, Danielle. Who could that be? Who could it be? Uh, yes, uh, for all of you who listen to It's Lit on the regular, thank you. <laughs> Our fearless chief here at The Root had big news come out this week that she is now going to be the editor-in-chief of HuffPo, and we could not be prouder, even though we hate to lose you. But, you know, you have been our mother, our auntie, our bestie, and I, I just couldn't, you know, I had to I had to mention, I just couldn't just let that go by. Oh, well, so sweet of you, Maisha. I mean, I have enjoyed my time at The Root immensely. I've been there six years. I started out as associate editor, and... Some for some crazy reason they put me in charge one year into that. <laughs> and the rest is all history. It's been amazing. And it's been amazing working with you. Like you're the bomb. So Oh, uh, well, you know, I I, I have to say I, I learn a lot from you all the time and I, I hope that will not end, even though you will be leaving us. I will be, you know, darkening your your text box <laughs> regularly. But you know, again, you know, I think I think one of the remarkable things we know about black women is that we tend to travel in packs, these packs of dynamic, amazing women. And I'm so proud that you are one of the amazing women in my life. And it's only fitting that Bevy is one of the amazing women in yours. Yes. That is, you know, thank you so much for that. And <laughs> I will try not to. I've cried enough. I've cried enough. It's time you know, for me to like turn that. I, I mean, I feel all the emotions. So it's not even about turning a frown upside down. It's more like just trying to mitigate the, the so many feelings. All the feels. <laughs> you know, and you know who else has a lot of feels? It's Bevy. And so she I brings think the feels. <laughs> we should let our listeners hear her for themselves. Should we get to the interview? Let's do it. It is, especially with you here, girl. Every so day lit. is lit with Bevy Smith. So uh, lit. I, I, I love it. Even rhymes. Everything is lit with Bevy Smith. Yes! <laughs> it truly, truly is, including your background with your lovely Bevelation song. Like you yes, are. Yes, darling. It's called Branding, darling. You know? Yes! The book is talking about building that personal brand. <laughs> I do wish our listeners could see it because it is fabulous. It looks amazing. No, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. I feel like I'm basking in its neon glow. <laughs> yes. 
So it is amazing to have you with us, Bevy, although it feels more like a reunion since back before the panorama, we saw each other all the time, girl. All the time. Like we were at all the events. All the galas, events, soirees, Yes. (laughs) Parties, all that stuff. All of it. (laughs) I miss it. I know, but coming all back now. (laughs) <laughs> yes bring it back bring it back so we had a, a one-year reprieve and <laughs> we're back on the block I, I really do believe we'll be back on the block by the summer god i hope so from your lips to god's ears let's back do it on the block i love it <laughs> i'm ready to be out and about but before we get into the book that you wrote girl you know, It's Lit is a podcast about Black books and Black authors and Black journalists and Black writers and everything Black and writerly. Uh, we always like to ask all of our guests a very simple but complex question. What was the book that was a game changer for you that you read that changed your life, that blew your mind, that made you question what a book could even be? Like, what was that book or books for you? So right when I was trying to figure out how I was going to change my life and what I was going to go and do, because I knew I needed to change my life. And I was like, what can I do? And I remember I listened to Jay-Z's Black album a lot. And I read, in conjunction with Jay-Z's Black album, I read Artist Way and The Four Agreements. Ah, those are, those are classics i think yeah you know, I, I own both of those i actually kind of love that you brought up jay-z too because i don't think we've had anybody cite a musician before but mm-hmm. that should actually be a legitimate answer like yeah, that man. is a lyricist and mm-hmm. there you go i like that what more can i say what more can i do i give my all to you there's nothing left to prove <laughs> my life, go. you know poetry bars and that's all <laughs> on that album so you know yeah so that really helped me get in the mindset that I was going to make this a big, big, big change in my life. And um, the artist way gave me permission to own the creative inside of me because for many years I had been deferring my creativity to the creative men that I was sleeping with. Mm. I was like, as a muse. I talk about this all in the book. I yes, you do. <laughs> and then um, the four agreements just like gave me the courage to like damn the naysayers and to step out. And to just really not have such harsh feelings about failure or to re-examine what failure could mean. Mm. And so those are some of the things that I incorporated into my book as well. Because I, what I know for sure is that, you know, mostly all self-help books say the same things. But here's the difference. You have to have a self-help book that speaks to you, that you can relate to. And so I wrote my book in order to relate to women and primarily black women and, and to black women who have felt like they've been marginalized, not only by the outside world, but within their own communities, within their own homes, their own mm-hmm. families. Um, and I wanted to show them that, yeah, you have a voice and you can control your narrative and you can change your damn life. That's why I wrote the book. There we go. <laughs> It's a great Beautiful. book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. So, Bevy, one of the things I relate the most about you is that, girl, you have had some jobs. You know, like, I've had some jobs, but you have had jobs. Like, you have done it all. And, you know, 
In your journey to becoming an author, you worked your way up through fashion and beauty ad sales to directorships at Vibe Magazine and Rolling Stone. And then you left that career track in search of a fully new creative life. And you took acting and writing classes in preparation for a television career. You launched a popular Dinner with Bevy series. And while it did not happen overnight, you eventually became a full-fledged television personality with Bravo's Fashion Queens, then on Page Six TV, and then on your serious radio show. And, you know, Bevelations, which inspired the title of your memoir, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie. And Bevy, I know you... <laughs> Don't like the word brave, but I think the first thing any of us want to know is where do you find the confidence to just say, you know, screw it. I'm taking these risks. I'm, I'm getting these jobs. I'm going I'm out doing there. It. I'm doing it. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? We all had successes in our life. Yeah. Everyone. But oftentimes we don't look at our successes as that. We don't look at them as wins because Society has taught us, especially because we tend to compare ourselves to other people. So, you know, unless you're getting the biggest job in the universe that can compete with X, Y, and Z that you've seen on social media, you'll be like, yeah, uh-huh, I, got a, I got a little promotion. Or I got this little job. It's cool or whatever. And you downplay it. Mm. <laughs> Not the way I operate. I understand that every single step that I've taken and every move that I've made throughout my life, not just my career, but throughout my life has led me to something bigger and better. And so I accept all the like things that people will say are little, little jobs and little, you know, little activities and things like that. I, I will tell you though, the real reason why I have so much confidence comes from my community. Mm. It is my mother. It is Harlem. And it is the fact that when I was 13 years old, I changed my life. You know, I was a nerdy girl and I was like, I don't want to be her anymore. And I was like, how do I, how do I shift? How do I pivot? And it was there that I changed my life successfully for the first time. And once I did it there, that inspiration of changing from nerdy girl to cool girl at the age of between the ages of 13 and 14 has fueled all of these major successes that I've had in my life. Cause I'm like, I wasn't supposed to be able to do that. I was 13 years old. Who takes control of their life at 13? <laughs> Who does that? Boss women do. That's what, that is what happens. When but I was a woman. I was a little girl. I know, but you, it was in you. I, I mean, you know what was in me though? I've always been a strategist. You know, so when people say I'm a hustler, I'm like, mm, no, cause a hustler, does whatever it takes to make the coins. And I'm not that. I turned down a lot of jobs, as y'all know from the book. Yeah, yeah. I am a strategist, and I always look at things very logically. And then I, and I, then I uh, come up with a plan in which to execute the idea that I have in my mind. I'm a great strategist. And I was that when I was a little kid. I was that at 13. To be, to sit and think, hmm, if I don't get away from these mean girls in junior high school, if I go to high school with them, my life will be shit. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I will be forever in the shadow of these girls. And right. I break out. I know I am. I'm ready to be on my own. And I'm ready to assert myself in new space. And I can do it. <laughs> I am not a supporting character. I'm a star. I am not a supporting character. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> a star. And you are a star. You are a star. I'm going to be a and solo you know <laughs> artist for damn sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting because I was reading this book and I related to it so deeply. And I love what you just said, actually, about downplaying yourself, because we do do that. I think it's a natural thing for women to do that. I think <laughs> the reason I co-signed when you said, you know, the men you were sleeping with, I'm like, we do that too, right? We do this thing where we kind of like sublimate <laughs> into these relationships. And I was like, wow. Because I constantly have to remind myself, because like y'all, I've had some jobs. I'm like, oh, you're right. I did do that thing. I did that too. But you know, Bevy, your aha moment, you know, is so interesting to me. This book occurred in this luxurious hotel suite. You're in Milan, right? You're living the life. You like basically had this emotional breakdown over how empty your life feels, even when filled with like unimaginable swag and perks and people and things and places. And I found it such a powerful statement because I think it embodies so much of what people imagine when they, when they imagine making it like, right. You know, because by pretty much every met- metric, you had made it, honey, made it, <laughs> you know, especially coming from Harlem, 150th street, exactly. household income. Before median household income is less than forty thousand dollars. Exactly. And exactly. I, trip costs forty thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a okay. right. So you know, I'm sitting there and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, you know, these are not spaces, and I, and I identified with it too, and I'm sure Danielle did as well. You know, these are not spaces that many Black women are able to enter, let alone thrive in. And I know that there were plenty of naysayers throughout your journey, especially when you made this pivot. And I love that you said pivot because Danielle knows how I feel about a pivot. But um, but you know, did anyone straight up guilt trip you about rejecting the level of of success that you had achieved as a Black woman? And and how did you respond to that? feel like it was a guilt trip, but people certainly questioned it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, um, especially people in the industry, because at that point, that was Spy Magazine, and I did not let people know that I was planning on, well, I didn't even know I wanted to quit Spy. It was the perfect place. I had grown up, all my formative years in my career were spent in all white spaces. So I get to Vibe Magazine. And I used to call it, it was like being inside the movie Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. Now, <laughs> now I've updated the reference to, it's like walking into Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Vibe Magazine in the late 90s, early 2000s, it's like Wakanda. <laughs> Beautiful Black people of all shades, of all like swagger levels, of all, I mean, just like, and we're just there. And we're beautiful and we're fueling the, the culture and it's our thing. Right. And even the white people at Vibe were secondary to what we thought, what we wanted, what we thought, even at, at what we what we desired, what we wanted to put on the page. Even when we had a, a white president or a white owner of the company, we still really were like, yeah, this was going to be this. How, you know, this house going mm-hmm. down. So it was so amazing. So there. I didn't let anyone know that I wanted to quit because I didn't know I wanted to quit. It was when I got the Rolling Stone magazine that I knew I wanted to quit. And Rolling Stone was such a big deal. Me going to Rolling Stone was such a big deal because it was and still is a very white environment. Yeah. And in magazines, like now all of a sudden you have Condé Nast is like making these huge efforts to have all these black people and all this and all these magazine publishing houses, of which there are not many left. There's only like Hearst, right? And, and Condé Nast. And mm-hmm. I mean, a, a few of the old school traditional ones. But back then, these places did not really have black representation in any space. Not on the editorial side, not on the publishing side, nothing. The most you could hope for was a security guard or a mailroom guy. 
And so when I get this job over at Rolling Stone, the community is happy for me and they're mm. proud of me. And they're like, yes, Bev, you doing it work. Oh my God. They, I remember they threw me a big party, this party promoter named Patty LeBron. And it was just like, it was like the people. And they really put me on their shoulders and were like, yeah, Bev, you going over, you done crossed over. And I was like, okay, but I'm only going there for 10 months. But anyway, <laughs> I was like, I'm, this is not my job. So I'm going to be out of this bitch. But anyway, so when I, when I leave Rolling Stone, my community is like, were you sure? Like, are you going to act? Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that anymore. But Bev, you was making moves, you know, you, you were the only one, you know, you were killing it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to kill something different. And <laughs> the time was like, you are on the fast track to be in my position. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. The job seems kind of horrible when you really look at it. Like for me, it was. No disrespect to anyone who's a, a publisher. It is a great gig. Just wasn't a great gig for me. It was not something that I desired. So I had to recognize that. And I think that that's something that's so important for Black women. to We really have to stop allowing other people's ideas of what success looks like to fuel our ideas and to feed mm-hmm. our ideas. We cannot do that. It does not matter that you are the executive vice president, blah, 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 corporation, and you're making $1.5 million if you're miserable. It doesn't matter. And sometimes you have to just step down, take a bow. And then go out and find out what's going to really make you happy. And I'm not advising mm-hmm. anyone to do what I did, which was crazy. <laughs> go out and quit that big thing job. But I do, I do suggest that people go out and try to explore things that make them happy, that have nothing to do with this career path that they're on. I, hey, I did what you did, and that's how I landed at the root, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nothing like a pivot. Yes, a pivot. I'm not a pivot. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One of the reasons I am so happy that you wrote Bethelations because although you're well known in a lot of circles and you're increasingly, you know, you're a huge public figure, I'm not always sure people realize like how you're like the sweetest, warmest, kindest, most loving person in tandem with all your wit and personality. And that really comes through in your book. You subtitled the, the book Lessons from a Mother Auntie Bestie. What do each of those titles mean to you? Well, mother comes from my gay sons. Um, you know, it started on Fashion Queens, Bravo's Fashion Queens, and little Derek J and Miss Lawrence would call me mother. And it comes from, of course, gay black ballroom culture, mother. Yes. And I own that, and I'm so proud of that. And now so many people in the LGBTQIA space call me mother, and I love it. 
And mm-hmm. I'm asking that. And I take it very seriously. It's so funny because one of my son's birthdays was, um, we had a little birthday gathering for him last night. I saw Corey there. And um, I was telling him, don't stay out late, blah, blah, blah. And I did all these things before I left because I got up out of Dodge, you know. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. And he was like, let us have fun. I was like, I'm, I'm the mother. I can't <laughs> ride fun. I take it very serious. So I take that title very serious, mother. Auntie, now here's the thing. I write in the book, the great auntie debate of 2018 with Ava DuVernay. Yes. Well, we were in the middle of that. We got in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me tell y'all something. I agree with them on a certain level. I okay. think some grown ass woman calling me auntie. You 40 years old, I am not your auntie. I'm your big sister. Um, you know, I agree you with that. I do agree. Yes. But I'm not auntie. Women 35 and under, maybe if you're 37 and have a very, very childish demeanor about yourself. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Or if I, yes. since you were a little wee one, like I, I've you know, known some very successful women since they were 18 years old, 20 years old, I'll give them that. But these old grown women talking about, but you just, like I was with Tamar and she was like, but you just feel like auntie. And I was like, well, no, no. I don't. It's like, what? We are the same. Wait, we what? the same age, girl. You like, yeah, no. <laughs> you almost sit down somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, we are the same demographic. I mean, the same demographic, girl, go sit down. So auntie <laughs> is that. And then bestie comes from us grown women. These are the women that I vacation with, that I dine with, that I commiserate with, that I celebrate with. We're on the same level and we know some things about some things. I understand when women that are my same age or in my same demographic feel like they want to come to me for advice because I do realize that what I've done is very extraordinary because I I know a bunch of women that I could have become. Mm. Because I had it all in pocket. I was really literally on track to be a big publishing executive. And I would have wound up running some website or some kind of multimedia company. And it would have been sweet, except I would have been miserable. So, you know, now a lot of my peer group come to me and say, okay, Bevy, I read the book. These are the parts I connected with. Personal branding, you know, brand you. The Red Soul Proposition. You know, and then there's other parts that the people that think of me as auntie relate to, you know, so it's, it's that kind of thing. It's an amalgamation of all the lessons that I have for the different types of people in my life. I related to all of it. <laughs> yeah. It all came through as it's, it's different versions of love and friendship, which is, mm-hmm. that's who you are. Like, yes. you're, thank you. Yeah. You're a loving friend. I developed this idea eons ago when I saw that my life revision workshop and it was like so many women so many people wanted to meet with me over coffee. And I was like, I don't want your old dry stone and your watery coffee for an hour. And you, you are sitting there and pick my brain, which is one of the worst terms ever in life. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when I decided to do life revision where I can meet with people. You have to write though an essay, not an essay, but you have to answer three questions. Who are you at your core? How are you being perceived? How would you like to be perceived? And I felt like that was a really great way to get to the bottom of things. And that's what you need to do. You need to do the um, introspective work in order to really change your life in a powerful, meaningful way. No, that is true. People have to do the work. You have to do the work. You have to. And it's painful, right? Yes. 
But I mean, it's necessary. If you want to grow and move forward as a person, you have to understand who you are. But so many people are still living their full-on facades, and I was one of them. You know, in the book, I go through all my personas. I, You know, Lulu Brown Bevy, who is like the best thing ever. Stevevsky, <laughs> which is like me in high school. And then my favorite girl of all time, besides Lulu Brown Bevy, is Big Bev from Uptown. And that's like my 90s hip-hop hottie, hot girl, spectacular self. Then there's a Beverly Smith fashionista. And then there's now this Bevy Smith. But I love yes. my little Big Bev from Uptown. She's a kiki and a good time. She has <laughs> so much good sex. And she was like, you know, one of the things I hate is that when I meet incredibly accomplished Black women, I find that a lot of them did not have a big personal life. And they mm, did. Yeah. They had not a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's so crazy because then it's like you look at it and we're on the same damn level. But I was out avoiding and doing all the things. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you just kept your nose to the grindstone. So if there's anything that I ever like to try and impart to younger women, it's like, please have fun. Yes. Yes. You're going for your MBA. Understand that you're like trying to be, you know, make every 30 under 30 list and all this. <laughs> I get that. But please have fun because let me tell you something. You're going to wake up one day. And all of those accolades will be hollow because you'll be like, yeah, but I did not live my life. Exactly. So I didn't take that three-week vacation with my girls, even though I could afford to sail around the Mediterranean. I just couldn't take the time off. Or I didn't risk being a mess sometimes. <laughs> didn't risk being a mess sometimes. And being a mess, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, because I think so often Black women sometimes deny themselves their full humanity, you know, because yeah. they're so consumed with, I have Good to point. be this certain way. I have to walk this very straight and narrow line. I can't deviate. I can't let my hair down and have a good time. But it's like, you can do both. Mm-hmm. You can totally have the career that you dream of yeah. and have an amazing social life and friends and a, a warm circle that and surrounds lovers. you. Yes. So lovers. Lots of lovers. <laughs> yes. You should have lovers. If you if you did not secure your MRS degree when you were in college, yes, go and have some fun. <laughs> exactly, just go and have some fun. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the best time to explore some things. And you know, like for me in the book, in the chapter Manhunt, I talk about you know, I got off the streets at around twenty eight, twenty nine because I was like, okay, I'm I'm getting a little long in the tooth for the shenanigans. <laughs> I need to go ahead and settle down and find this guy. And of course, the guy didn't turn out to be the guy that I wanted him to be, mm-hmm. and I thought he was going to be. But I, I get an A for effort. But the the best thing about being with that guy was that I realized that my happiness, my true happiness, was going to have to be a solo performance. I could not be a part of a group or an ensemble. It could not be. It wasn't going to be up for a vote. I had to define what happiness looked like for me, and then I had to go out and pursue that. And that was like a really tough thing to kind of come to grips with at 33. Well, and I, I, you know, I love that you just hit on the 33 thing, because like one of the things that is so striking, especially for those of us who, and I don't know why I think this way, but, you know, those of us who wonder if we're late bloomers or, you know, if you haven't hit it by a certain age, you know, you talked about the 30 under 30 list. You made this this major breakthrough, this pivot. You were in your late 30s and you basically were like, I'm starting from scratch, you know. And I love this, not just because of what it represents in terms of your own journey, but also because so many people in public spaces 
shy away from discussing age. Like it doesn't, you know, like this is something we're, like we're not supposed to age. We're not supposed to be curvy or voluptuous or like lush in our bodies, right? You know, those are not typical Hollywood prototypes. And this is now an arena that you are navigating with some aplomb. And I, so I know how meaningful that was to me. And, uh, you know, I'm sure to Danielle and those who have read it, you know, even sex, right? You know, like big girls don't have sex. We do. <laughs> you know, lots so of it. By the way, I don't consider myself a big girl. And you know what? That's fine too. <laughs> I don't consider myself a big girl. And I think that that's something else that's very important for women to start doing as well. Don't let people put what they believe about you onto you. Like, I don't even think of big as a negative. It's a negative. I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> the thing, right? But yeah. Here's the thing. And this is something that's so important to me. Because I don't believe in body positivity either. Because to mm. me, you have to say about body positivity, it means that you're working through something that it is negative. Mm-hmm. And you're coming over into the positive category. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I'm just Bevy Smith, who, who has body, yada, 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 yada. <laughs> <laughs> you do that. You do have that. Yes, you do. I'm in a really great shape. I truly am an hourglass woman. I you have, are. I have tea. My waist goes in and I got to ask. <laughs> and I know these things about myself. And also, not for nothing, I was Big Beth from Uptown when I was a size six. When you look at the old pictures right. of that book and you look at the old, the Big Beth from Uptown era, I had no fat at all on me. But I was still Big Beth from Uptown because I had a big aura and a big persona and I was a boss. Well, I think that that's the thing. Like, that's probably why I don't actually think of it as a negative because I think I've always been, you know, I think we're often told we're too much, right? Like black women, I think we get told we're too much, way too much. (laughs) But, you know, I I think that that transparency is so important. And I also think that the age message is so important because I think... It gets greater later is what I say in the book. Yeah, you do. You say this a lot. And I think it's really important because I loved hearing you describe this as a self-help book. So would you say, you know, you know, you said you, you said that you wrote it for you know, black women to, you know, know that you have a voice, but would you also say that maybe you did write it a bit for the people who consider themselves late bloomers, people who are feeling a little like lost in the middle of their, of that career, that track they thought they were on. Everyone feels like that. I think even Mm. some things feel that way. They're Mm -hmm. running as fast as they can to compete, you know, and and comparison is the thief of joy, right? Yes. You meet so many young people. And I'm sure, Danielle, you can tell us how many people have called you up because they didn't make the group 100 list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And so these things weigh on people, even in their 20s and 30s. So forget about you're in your 40s and your 50s and you're, you still haven't hit your mark. Of mm. course, you're going to feel like, oh, my gosh, is it ever going to happen? Now, I have one of my very successful ex-lovers tell me I was the most late luminous motherfucker he ever met. <laughs> And I, it was such a compliment. He's a really big star. And um, he saw me out at a film premiere, his premiere. And he was like, I'm so happy for you. You're the most late bloomness motherfucker I ever met. And then the one lover who I had, who's a, who's a big, iconic rap star, he, he said to me, I told you how many years ago to do this? I told you how many years ago this is who you were? And I was like, I had to work through my own shit. Mm-hmm. You're not the fucking you know, boss of me. But it was so great that these men had to double back and give me my flowers. I didn't need them. I was going to go ahead and do what I was going to do anyway. 
Well, it was lovely that we had come to this space where they could acknowledge like what I had been able to do and carve out for myself. Um, and you know, for me, I really want to be in a big, meaningful, loving relationship. And that's a goal of mine. You know, I'm really, I feel like my career is in such a great space that I'm like, I just decided this week to put my career third and I'm putting love first. I love that. I love this no, whole, that's this exciting. whole energy is like, that's yes. exciting <laughs> that you're putting love first. Like I, you know, like just, just, you know, a wow. Yeah. Like it's so, cause I know like just from following your story and your career and reading your book with like, you have been such someone who's been so driven and I'm similarly very driven. I have a huge drive and very ambitious. And just the, I had never thought of the concept, like, you know what, I'm going to actually make this a priority. <laughs> like where I can make something other than my career a priority. Wow. I, I love it. I love this whole story. This is no, this, this is, is amazing. Up. This is this is a blueprint. I like it. I like it. it. I like it. I want your 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 viewers, your listeners, to understand that we can do this. We can be the architect of of our lives. Like I literally don't want to work, so I've created this life where I don't really work. Like even with Sirius XM, I work one hour a day. I have eight weeks vacation. <laughs> we gotta find that peace for ourselves and we gotta we gotta find that time to create for ourselves and to to do some of the things that really bring us joy. How exactly. about exactly you just want to show up in your body? <laughs> oh my god, revolutionary. It is, it is revolutionary. Matter of fact, this whole conversation has been revolutionary, Bevy. It has been. Bevy, I want to thank you so much yes. for coming on. It's lit. It was amazing to have you. We will definitely like girl write another book and come back. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, you know I'm acting now, Danielle. Ah, ah. Okay. okay. Well, act in a, a, a get your book ad- adapted into a film and come back. Uh, again, I hear there's just things. There's acting. There's art curation. <laughs> there's like there's a whole. There's, we gonna find a things. way to work you back in. Thank you. Have fun, lady. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Special thanks to Sarah Chishti. If you like the show and you want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what are you getting into these days? You know, I'm trying to get a little more responsible about my money. <laughs> you know, we've just come out of a pandemic. I am, well, we haven't come out yet. Why am I even saying that? We're still we're in getting a pandemic. There. We're still in a panty. <laughs> we're, in, we're, in a, we're in a pandemonium, as somebody said earlier. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in my mind, we're out. But when we get out, you know, I, I feel very grateful to have remained employed throughout this. Thanks, boss. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, additionally, I do think that this is a time that if you were blessed enough to be able to retain your employment or somehow have some kind of savings, it was a good time to really look at how 
you were handling that. And so I have Tiffany Aliches. She's also known as the Budget Nista. Uh, get good with money. And she's going to be coming to talk with us soon. So we will be able to share what she's, uh, you know, the tips she's giving here. But she's really brilliant and, and so down to earth. And I, I think for somebody like me, who's often shied away from those uncomfortable conversations about money, it's a great way for me to kind of tune in. Uh, I can't imagine you have time to read anything but HuffPo right now <laughs> and The Root, but <laughs> are you reading anything? You know, I I started uh, Black Girl Call Home by Jasmine Mans, oh. a book of poems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to get into that because it's unlike everything else I'm reading right now, which is just news, 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 news. It's all news, all day, every day at the in the Belton household, so. I mean, that is a beautiful book of poetry, and I... I'm hoping we're going to talk to Jasmine soon, too. That's that's a gorgeous book of poetry. Yeah. And poetry is not easy for everybody, but I think this is a pretty easy one, pretty accessible. It's really, really good. Definitely. Definitely. <sighs> and that's it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep it lit. <laughs>